You know, bourbon mania has caused some people to just chase after the high age stated bourbons and mm -hmm. whiskeys out there. But have you ever tasted a low age, a younger age whiskey that blew your mind? I have. I have too. And today we're going to talk about some of those low age whiskeys that are absolutely incredible and some of the high age whiskeys we've had that were absolutely terrible. So stick around. First of all, before we get started in today's episode, um, we've got to take a moment and thank our faithful and loyal patrons out there. We yep. love you guys, and we would not be here doing this, working as hard as we can to make a difference in this bourbon community that we know of online and uh, around the world, and we can't thank you enough for making that possible for us. Right. Uh, it's because of your kind donations and subscriptions to the Patreon. Um, that make this show happen. But we don't want it to be a one-way street. We want to show you the appreciation that we really have in our hearts for you. And that's why we give you the opportunities with those Patreon packages to get bonus content, uh, special offers, distillery takeovers, barrel picks, in-person meetups, the monthly virtual bottle shares, which are really cool, uh, discounts on all the merch, which has just been re-upped, so there's tons on there on the site to take advantage of. And obviously, the biggest satisfaction of all is knowing that you are supporting a channel that's truly making a difference in the lives of those out there. So thank you guys so much for all of your support. So as we get into this topic, I want to say a special thank you to Marcelo Kurtz. Oh, yeah. Um, we were at a tasting for... Irish whiskey called Two Stacks. Mm. And we walked in and there was this gorgeous, tall Irish gentleman. Mm. And as soon as I saw him, I was like, damn it, my wife and all the other women are going to be gaga over this guy all night. <laughs> uh, but he turned out to be awesome. And his whiskey was great. Cool. And he brought with him a, a whiskey that was only three years old. Mm. And Marcelo and I were sitting next to each other and we both tasted it. And he was like, can you believe? I mean, we were, we were drinking some whiskeys that were way older, like 20 years old, right? Yeah, yeah. And uh, he's like, can you believe how good this three-year-old whiskey was? And he messaged me and said, hey, maybe you should do an episode on why that might happen. So we're yeah. going to get into some weird, nerdy, technical stuff right. towards the end. Um, but remember, everyone's palate is different. Mm -hmm. And so if we start talking about a whiskey that was young, that we thought tasted good, and you think it's hot garbage, that's okay. We don't, we don't, we don't have to no, be at odds. Okay. Yeah. And if we think that it's, we, we don't use the term hot garbage personally, but if we don't think it's any good and we don't really prefer it, uh, you may love it. That's totally good. That's totally cool too. So yeah. that's the great thing about whiskey is that everybody's palate's different. What you like is what you like and just enjoy it. So, right. All right. So what are some of the high age statement whiskeys that you've had that you didn't love? Well, I, the first and top of the list, if you've watched this channel long enough, is is Elijah Craig 18. Uh, in in the, the blinds we've done, uh, double blinds, it's failed miserably. Um, to me, it's just way too much time in the barrel. Um, but to be honest with you, it, it comes across my palate as super thin. Yeah. It honestly just tastes like sweet, oaky water. Yeah. You know, it's just like... A, I don't know. It's really thin to me. Uh, it's lost a lot of those robust flavors that it probably once had and that you pick up in some of those Elijah Craig single barrels or uh, barrel picks and everything like that. But I just, you know, I think it's just too much time for me. Yeah. Um, what about Pappy 20 and 23? Have you have you tried those? I have. And to be honest with you, the 23 uh, would probably be the lesser of the two. But the 20 was okay. The 15 is probably my favorite. My favorite is the 10. The 10 and 15, yeah. 10 uh, and 15 are... The only one I haven't owned is the 23. And my bottle of Pappy 
uh, Van Winkle 20 year that I got was undrinkable. Like I took, I probably drank half an ounce out of that entire bottle. Really? I shared all of it. And it was so funny because I made a habit of like pouring somebody a little sample and then I'd stand there and look at them while they tasted it. And they'd feel so obligated to just be like, oh, this, this thank is, you so much. so good. And I'd, I'd be like, do you like it? And they'd be like, ah. And I'd be like, I don't like it. And they're like, oh, thank God. You know, because <laughs> they, they had heard so much. And, yeah. And um, probably spent some. I mean, you spent a fortune either getting the bottle or paying for. A I won somewhere. a lottery, so I I I I didn't have much in it, but you, right. Yeah. And, and and I wonder if that. Well, probably not for you, but if for some people, if that affects whether they like it. Or oh, not. for sure. If yeah. If you spend five grand on the bottle, then you're probably going to taste it a little differently than yeah. the guy who won it in a raffle. You know what I mean? Right. So, and and that will reset your palate. You're building neural pathways that tell you that that's what good expensive whiskey right. is supposed to taste like. Yep. And that's one of the factors that plays into this. Um, also, lock, stock, and barrel, 16-year-old rye. That's one I've not had. Uh, so what, I, what do you think about it? It's um, when, when uh, rye gets really high age, it starts to taste like burnt tire smoke to me. It's like this Sweet. weird chemically flavor. Sometimes it's cool if it's just a little bit. Like I've had a couple of like whistle pig 15 years that were yeah. like it had just a little bit. I get it a little bit in the Saz 18. Yeah. Um, but if it's too much, I, I don't like it. Right. Um, so hmm. uh, another uh, another one that I haven't really loved that much and we didn't put it out on the table was uh, Wild Turkey Father and Son 13 years. Yeah, when well, we did the, the double blind with it and the, the, um, the Wild Turkey, right? Mm -hmm. We, we kind of compared the two and and uh, and I don't think any of us picked the uh, Father Son Thirteen. Yeah. Uh, in that double blind, so yeah, I, I have to agree on that one. Um, the next one, when we're talking about low age, though, on the flip side, what are some low age whiskeys that really kind of blew your mind and kind of like surprised you, other than that Scotch experience? Well, it, it was it was Irish or whiskey, the Irish whiskey, sorry. and uh, the name of the whiskey's Gaelic, um, so it's like mm. Barantil. It's B-A-R-A-N-T-U-I-L. Mm. And the distillery is spelled Killoween, but he, he pronounced it in Gaelic. And I'm like, yeah, I'm not even going to try. Yeah. But if you're looking for it, that's what it is. Uh, but I've uh, New Riff was releasing oh stuff my gosh, yeah. right at four years. And I don't think I've had a New Riff I was offended by. No, I, I love their single barrels. and. Uh, when we, anytime we go up there to Kentucky, I always try to grab a couple bottles to bring back because it is, it's delicious. And another one that, speaking of a road trip that we took that completely blew my mind, I had not heard of this distillery before we went. I had not tasted anything from there, but Frey Ranch. Frey Ranch. When we went up there and- You literally it, said on camera it was your best whiskey you've ever had. Dude, yes, I did. And, um, and it was, it was. And the, uh, whatever that barrel was that he tapped into at the yeah. end, that's what I was talking about. That was the best whiskey. Like, I don't, I don't know if that's been bottled yet. I hope it hasn't because he, he said he would let me know. But listen, that stuff was delicious. It mm -hmm. tasted like Smarties, honestly. It tastes like Smarties, a little tart, a little sweet, little like just a, a collage of wild flavors that just blew my mind. So, again, a younger-aged, three-, four-year-old Yeah, uh, I, uh, I've had that experience with a, a bunch of producers, uh, like Anita's Choice. I think mm. it's uh, Burnt Church Distillery. Um, and even JT Mellet. Oh, JT Mellet, or, yeah. Or um, we love the Belfours, but their first release was only 28 months old. 
so age good. dated, um, but it was only 28 months. And I'm not saying it was, you know, George C. Stag level, but it, it was very approachable. And quite honestly, I'd probably prefer to drink that over Elijah Craig 18. Yeah. And a lot of these are coming from smaller distilleries, craft distilleries, if you will. Uh, still utilize the column still, some of them pot still in, in column still combo, but, um, but man, you know, you, you can find some of those little hole in the wall craft distilleries on your next, on your next road trip and really find some great whiskey. Ah, I knew I was a bigger bourbon real talk fan than you. How do you know that? Well, because I don't just use a prideful goat, Glenn. I got a official bourbon real talk tumbler. Oh yeah? Yeah. Well, I got this bourbon real talk lanyard to carry my whiskey glass in. Oh, well, speaking of whiskey glasses, do you have one of these? No, I don't. Rocks glass. Oh yeah? Yep, official. Well, I love my wife and I bought her this official whiskey wife flask from Bourbon Real Talk. Well, that's cute and everything, but I got my wife one of these. Oh yeah? Yeah. Well, you can just add your own liquor and it's an actual cocktail right there in a, in a jar. Me and my wife like to make cocktails, so we got this simple syrup on oh, the website. Oh, do you? Yeah. Okay. Well, do you and your wife have one of these? This is an official sticker. You can only get these on the website. Uh, no, but I do have these official coasters that have the Bourbon Real Talk logo on them and I'm representing. Hmm. Well, while you're representing those little coasters of yours, I've got an aroma kit. Do you? Yeah, so I can smell literally everything in bourbon. Everything. Well, I don't have that, but I do have this sample box that I keep all my samples in because I'm part of the community and I share samples. Yeah, but do you have Glen Toppers that are officially Bourbon Real Talk? I don't have that, but I do have this large whiskey carrying case for my glasses so that I don't break them. See, I knew you had that. That's why I have this, the smaller version, okay? It packs more easily into your suitcase. Uh -huh. I don't want to mess with that big old thing, okay? Suitcase, that's for lamos. Check this thing out. I have a Bourbon Real Talk bottle carrying bag. You can't beat that. I don't know if I can because- And on top of that, I have a Bourbon Real Talk t-shirt. I'm the bigger fan. Oh, I can beat that. Is it extra schmedium? No, I don't have an extra schmedium. Ha! Extra schmedium. You might be the bigger fan, you win. I knew it. So whether you're a Bourbon Real Talk super fan or simply looking for quality whiskey swag, head over to bourbonrealtalk.com today. So let's talk a little bit about why that might be happening. Okay. Okay, so first off, there's a process that goes on during maturation called esterification, mm -hmm. okay? And that's where there's chemical reactions that are taking things like butyric acid, which butyric acid smells a little bit like uh, a hot garbage bin in the summer or mm -hmm. a little like vomit. Uh, but over time, it will esterify into isobutyl acetate, which tastes like pineapple. Mm. Um, and so what we don't always think about as a consumer is the distiller has to make choices about how they're going to make the whiskey. And those choices might be different based on how long they plan on aging those barrels, uh, yeah. Yeah. right? Yeah. And so you wouldn't want to put a bunch of butyric acid in your or distill and ferment and do all of those things in a certain way that was going to have a bunch of butyric acid unless you knew you were going to have to you were going to have time to age it to give it time to convert right, right. yeah Makes and sense. so there's lots of things that distilleries can do to affect uh, what compounds in, end up in their whiskey and one of them is fermentation temperatures so <clears throat> higher fermentation temperatures will increase the number of amyl acids that are in the whiskey. Um, and if you've got a lot of amyl acids, you probably need more time for esterification. Um, great example would be yeast strain, mm -hmm. right? So yeah. think about, um, did you go on the bullet pick? Yeah, yeah. 
So re remember they had the five yeast right, strains right, and how yeah. different every single yeah, one of them yeah, tastes. Yep. Yeah. And so, I mean, your even your own experience, like yeast strain can have a major impact on the flavors that are in the whiskey. Absolutely. And even that yeast strain in different areas, like you've got the yeast strain from the beams loaned at Heaven Hill. And so even their whiskey, there are some commonalities, but even then you're going to pick up some different notes. So it's amazing how much a difference those types of things. Um, fermentation time is another one. Yeah. That, I mean, how long that process takes combined with, you know, the wood surfaces, there's tons of influence that make a big difference. Right. Yeah. So, I mean, I've seen fermentation times as short as two and a half days. Right. And I think the longest I've heard of is up to nine days. Mm. But during the fermentation process, the, the pH level is changing inside the fermentation tank. And at certain pHs, the yeast throw off different compounds. Mm. And so if you're looking for a compound, you can extend the amount of time that the fermentation is in that pH range and it can throw off more of that compound. Um, and I wonder how much difference what you actually ferment in makes a difference as well. You know, you've got, what was the distillery we went to that had like those Cypress? Leaper's Fork. Yeah, yeah that's that, really cool. That's actually a, a, a younger whiskey that I would put into that category. Sure. Um, and in their particular case, you know, the, the distiller told us that they changed their fermentation because they knew, or they changed many elements of their process because they knew that they were going to be releasing this whiskey at about four or five years old. Right, yeah. Um, and so it, that's a big deal. There's not a lot of distilleries that still ferment with uh, um, Cypress fermentation tanks. Most have switched to, to uh, stainless steel. Uh, I but, thought those were cool, man. Yeah, they are I, cool. I, it's got a cool look to it, and you got to believe it brings a little bit, it parts a little bit different of a flavor profile as well. I mean, honestly, you see it, and you're like, am I going to die if I drink this? <laughs> like, there's stuff growing in here, right? <laughs> yeah. But I think one of the, the biggest um, differences is pot versus column still. Yeah. And so, uh, you know, I'll be honest. I've trained my palate, and all of you have too. Almost all whiskey comes off of a column, or bourbon comes off of a column still. Mm -hmm. Very little bourbons come from a pot still, unless they're craft. Um, and then of course, Woodford claims to be pot, but they're not 100% uh, pot, and they don't disclose what percentage is what. So, <clears throat> column stills strip out a lot of those those flavor compounds mm -hmm. that get left in. So, when you hear about the, have you heard about the Buffalo Trace study where they said that? like 60 to 70% of the whiskey's flavor comes from the barrel. Mm -hmm. Yeah. that That's true uh, for a column still whiskey. Right. But it, it probably isn't true for a pot still. Right, yeah. Because like you said, the column still is what is, those different layers of the column are what is removing that, removing a lot of those those esters and those right. flavor profiles. Um, and you're left with, you know, some white dog, uh, some white dog, white lightning. You white know lightning. It's, it's, you throw that in the barrel and that's where your flavor comes from. And, and another big factor is uh, the, the distillation proof when it comes off of the still mm -hmm. from the stripping run. Um, they can go up to 160, which is going to produce something that's like very clean. Um, and you're going to need some time in barrel because there's not a lot of flavor compounds left mm -hmm. in it. And you could come off at a much lower proof, right? And that's gonna leave a lot more flavor compounds in there. And depending on what fermentation was, you might have good flavor compounds at a younger age if you distilled at a lower uh, proof. Mm -hmm. um, and then barrel entry proof is a big one. Yeah. Um, you've got, you know, Wilderness Trail has some of the lowest barrel entry proofs and their whiskeys taste really good at a young age. Yeah. Um, but most distilleries do the max because it's financially expedient. Right. 
And so. you got toasting and charring. Obviously, that's a big a big uh, component to where your flavor comes from. You know, you've got different char levels, one through four, uh, right? One through four? One through four. And then, so, I mean, everything from just a few seconds to, you know, 45 seconds to a minute. Uh, on the char and so toasting is obviously when you think of a char instead of a more intense flame really blasting that the that the inside of that barrel uh, it's more of a slow burn think of it as you know smoking a brisket you know it's a little bit of a, a low and slow uh, effect to it so that definitely makes a big difference in flavor profiles it does and there are there are distilleries <clears throat> that have some toast process for all of their barrels like brown foreman uh, products all have some level of toast but I'm finding that a lot of uh, distilleries, are, they know they're going to release a product young because they're trying to get you know their name out there in the market. Almost all of them are using a toasted and charred barrel. Mm. And, it, and it adds that s'mores, like caramelized wood sugar. Mm -hmm. It gets way more vanilla into the whiskey. And that's almost like the, the cheat code for, for releasing young whiskey yeah. to the point now that when I taste toasted barrel, I'm like, this tastes young, yeah. but, but they're not yeah. always young, but I, I've gotten so used to that. Sure. So, but, so in, in conclusion, I mean, the, the, this episode is going to go back to the same conclusion as many we've had. You've got to try it for yourself. Yep. Don't be afraid of those low aged um, bourbons and whiskeys that you see on the shelf that don't get quite the hype as that high age stuff does. Um, because to be honest with you, there's just like we've showed many times before, there's really good whiskey out there in hidden places on the shelves and younger age stuff is a great place to find some value. So, yeah. um, taste it for yourself. Try some of the higher age stuff, do blinds with your friends, have some high age stuff compared to low age and see where your preferences are as your palate goes. Um, so, I mean, that's all we can tell you at the yeah. end of the day. Yeah. Don't, don't take our word for cover. it. Yeah. Don't take our word for it. Go try it for yourself. Yeah. So if this is your first time watching the show, we'd like to thank you for the view and let you know a little bit about our show philosophy. We're all about bringing people together around bourbon. And that's something that helped, you know, drive me deeper into my bourbon passion because I, I lost my brother to suicide in 2014 and I was looking for more connection. But I also, uh, in analyzing what happened in my brother's life, he had lost connection with the, uh, a lot of his support system around him. And as I sought comfort and started to grow in my bourbon passion, I started seeing how bourbon brought all types of people together, even people of different ideological views. And I thought, if bourbon can do that, maybe I can help get you connected to bourbon and bourbon will do the rest of the job and get you connected to others so that you don't feel the way my brother did. And that helped me want to start the podcast, but it also led to the formation of Bourbon Real Talk community because as we looked at the whiskey forums that are out there, there was a lot of negativity, mm -hmm. the, the trolls. Yep. And we decided let's create a space where we don't allow that troll-like behavior and try to foster those connections. And Bourbon Real Talk is doing that. I mean, mm -hmm. it is truly a community. Um, but that process also taught me that if those trolls can show hate online, we can love online. Mm -hmm. And that's why we end every show the same way, and that's this. If you woke up this morning and you're unsure whether or not anyone loves you, just know that we love you. And we'll see you next time on Bourbon Real Talk. In the steep hills of the rockiest of mountains, under beaming sun or windy winters, a prideful goat stands tall. The whiskey offers smooth yet bold flavors to be enjoyed anywhere with anyone. So take a leap and discover the complex and beautiful sceneries of the prideful goat with us.
I'm Randy Selvin, host of Bourbon Real Talk. My business partner, Christopher Hart, the host of Whiskey Neat, and I partnered with Giant Texas Distillers to create the whiskey brand, The Prideful Goat. That intro was one of the drafts for The Prideful Goat's back label. And the truth is, the name just sounded cool. There is no significance to the name, which makes the back label story a little bit difficult. We felt some of that was a little too fanciful for our target audience. Our goal was to create a whiskey by whiskey lovers for whiskey lovers. Cash strength, non-chill filtered, straightforward, no fluff. We're currently sold in California, New Mexico, Arizona, Texas, Oklahoma, Kentucky, Louisiana, and Florida. And we're proud to announce that we're coming soon to Georgia, New Hampshire, Vermont, Maine, and Canada. If you want a quality whiskey that was curated for enthusiasts, head over to pridefulgoat.com and use the store locator. If your local store doesn't have it, just use the contact feature and we'll tell you how they can get it. We also have some pretty awesome Prideful Goat merchandise, including etched glens and t-shirts. If we're not sold in your state, don't worry about it. Sealbox and Bourbon Outfitter both carry our products for lower than average retail price. With no sales tax and discounts for multiple bottle shipping, in many cases you can get the Prideful Goat delivered to your door for less money than you would have spent at your local store. We hope you enjoy our little project. Cheers! <laughs>